Welcome, everyone. This is Vern Davis. I am the host and your host of Plant Profits. And Plant Profits is an award-winning podcast. Plant Profits is also brought to you by Produce Global and Cannabis Radio. My guest today serves as Director of Cannabis Development for KCSA Strategic Communications, a fully integrated communications agency. And he's on the board of directors of Four for Adventures, and at one time was president of that, integral in its start, which that's a publicly traded investment and operations company. But as director of the cannabis development for KCSA, Strategic Communications, our expert brings over two decades of experience to the forefront of the rapidly evolving cannabis industry, and that's what we're going to talk about today, in addition to sharing the cannabis practice at KCSA. They work, he wears the, the hat of CEO at, at Crane Rank Enterprises, where they passionately consult small businesses within the cannabis realm. So there's a lot going on, and I want you all to welcome Mr. Chris Crane, who's the Director of Cannabis Development at KCSA, Strategic Communications. How are you, Chris? I'm, uh, I'm great this morning. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you, you're here. Excited to have this conversation with you. And I don't want to kind of understand your journey. How did you get to this cannabis thing? You've, you've done a tremendous amount of work and finance and other things. And I just, how did you get to this cannabis journey? Sure. So I, uh, I've actually spent my entire career in it. Yeah. I, uh, so I started as a as a campus activist uh, back in the mid-90s at American University, uh, originally with the American University chapter of Normal, uh, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, I became yeah. a founding founding member of an organization called Students for Sensible Drug Policy, SSDP, uh, when we started that organization back in 1998. I parlayed that into an internship at Normal uh, my senior year of college. And wound up working there for six years uh, in D.C., working on, on marijuana policy for normal. Ended up becoming the executive director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, uh, where I served for four years, uh, also in D.C. And so I spent really the first half of my career working solely on the policy side of this issue. And that led me into the industry in uh, 2009, uh, thanks to a relationship I had with Steve D'Angelo and Harbor Sight mm -hmm. Health Center. I was basically recruited to move out there and help start a new consulting company and that was sort of an offshoot of Harborside uh, that led to, you know, a couple of years later starting Forefront and you know, the rest is history. The rest is, the rest is history. You've, you've really gotten yourself involved into the social justice part of, of cannabis and, and that environment. And you, and you've made statements and you've had conversations about the lack of banking and institutional funding is critical in the success or the lack of success that we see in some of these markets and so and social justice cannabis ownership and how have you embedded yourself into that well remember i, I came from the policy side of this issue right right and part of my yeah. motivation in getting involved in that in the first place was looking at the injustices of the war on drugs and cannabis prohibition the way that black and brown communities are targeted uh, disproportionately when it came to marijuana arrests and conviction, cannabis arrests, cannabis convictions. So it's it's always been something that I've I've thought a lot about and and worked and worked on. And so as I've been involved on the the business and the industry side of things, 
you know, I, I think it's it's really important, and I've always supported the goal that the communities that were most heavily impacted by prohibition deserve to have an opportunity to participate in this emerging industry. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I, I still think that's incredibly important. It's heartening that so many states have implemented social equity programs, tried to do their best to put licenses in the hands of folks who have been impacted by cannabis prohibition. But, you know, to date, very few, if any, have really been successful because, yes. you know, it's not that difficult to get a license or grant a license to somebody who's been impacted by prohibition. It's very difficult to set them up for success, in particular, to get the funding that they need in order to actually start up their business and compete in a more competitive marketplace. That's been the really challenging part. And that's where it ties into banking and why I think, you know, think making banking and traditional banking and lending available to the space is absolutely critical to ensuring the success of social equity programs. You made a statement I want to dig into a little bit. It's been not very successful in many cases. The money's always the root of that problem. Almost always. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Money is the common denominator. So what or lack of, right? So, but going into it, what is missing from education about what it takes to actually get it off the road and and be successful? And, you know, what, what I'm asking really is why so many people taking the same failed journey? Well, it's challenging because you know there's only so yeah. much states can really do on the funding side of things, right? I mean, states generally don't have the budget to make hundreds of millions of dollars available to aspiring cannabis entrepreneurs to ensure that they actually have the money to get up and running. And so, you know, most of the states, I think they've, and I'm very quite confident mm-hmm. that they have been uh, genuine in their desire to to get these social equity programs running and off the ground and have them be successful. And the easiest way for them to do that is to put a licensing program in place that ensures that licenses go to the people that deserve them. They haven't been able to figure out how to make sure these folks get funded. And I think there's been a lack of understanding in general. And I don't think this is just at the state level. I think this is like anybody who's not deeply involved in the cannabis industry at just how challenging it is for folks to raise capital in an industry where it's still federally illegal right where you've got 280e where margins are being squeezed right it's this is this is not easy and i think there's a misconception out there that you know having a license to run a cannabis business is is effectively uh, you know a license to print money and you know this stuff is going to sell itself and this is you know the, 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 i don't think people realize how difficult this is from a capital and an operation standpoint and, and if you don't have the capital available for these equity licensees to get up and running, not just get up and running, but to operate and to compete, you're kind of doing them to failure. And what we what we and wind up seeing in many cases is folks win a license and then yeah. they turn around and they flip it. They sell it to somebody who actually has the capital, you know, and and, and wants to operate it. And, you know, I I've I've seen states that have said, well, we should just and there's been conversations about what well, we should, you know, prevent somebody from selling the license if they win it. But it's like, how can you say that, you know, African American licensee yeah. from a disadvantaged community who's gotten a license has to go out and compete in a difficult marketplace where they may not be able to raise capital. Whereas the non-equity licensee, if they raise them, if they, if they go out and want a license, they're perfectly allowed to go out and flip the license and cap and, and capitalize on it right away. Right. You can't, you right. can't do that. You've got to be able to find a way to set these folks up for success. And that starts with making, you know, capital more available uh, to equity licensees. 
very hard to do, right? Very, very difficult to do. So if you if 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 I'm by a social equity license, can I flip it to anyone? It depends on the state. In most cases, yes, you can. But that um, creates a predatory environment, doesn't it? It can. I would actually say if they were limited to selling their licenses only to only to other equity licensees, that would probably create an even more predatory environment because you're like you're significantly reducing the, the buyer pool, meaning that they're going to get lower pricing. I'll give you a good example here, right? I live in Illinois. Okay. And I've actually worked with worked with equity licensees to, to help them sell their licenses when they've made the decision to do that. The calculus that someone would go through, and this was a couple of years ago, a retail license in Illinois was selling for about, call it four to five million dollars, right? Now they're selling more like two and a half, right? The market conditions are a little bit different. But particularly when those licenses were selling for, let's call it four million dollars, right? Was, uh, we talk to folks and say, look, play this, play this out. So in order to raise the money to get this up and running, you're going to have to, you're likely going to have to take on fairly expensive capital, either at really high debt rates or more likely you're going to get diluted down to about a 50% ownership, right? Just yeah. to raise the money to get, to get operational. Okay. So now you own 50% of your company. Now you got to go out and you've got to do the work. You've got to get it open. You've got to compete in the, in the marketplace with GTI and Cresco and Curaleaf and Forefront and Verano and you know everybody, right? All wow. these really experienced operators, most of whom are vertically integrated, right? So they've got bigger margins than you do and can probably do lower lower pricing. And let's say you do this and you're fairly successful. In licenses in a mature adult use recreational market typically sell for about one times revenue. So let's say you're fairly successful and this and you can get this thing to be an eight million dollar a year store, which is a pretty you know, would be a pretty good store. Pretty good store. Yeah, in a marketplace with 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 you know five hundred or so stores. So you're fairly successful, you get this, it's an eight million dollar store. Three years from now, you decide to sell your eight million your your eight million dollar store. You've been diluted down to fifty percent to raise the capital, you sell it for eight million dollars, your take home on that is gonna be four million dollars. Right? That's what you're paying for. Yeah. And $4 million, right? But you've had to spend years worth of work to get there. Lots of headache, lots of heart, lots of heartache, potentially had to raise more capital, get diluted down. Maybe you're not as successful as you think you're going to be. And it doesn't quite get to $8 million. But if you do, right, you get it to an $8 million store, you're going to get, you're going to sell it for $8 million. Your take home is going to be $4 million. If you sell it today without going through all that work and all that headache, your take home, $4 million, Right. Yeah. Why would somebody want to take that risk? <laughs> and right to potentially, yeah. like maybe they're yeah. going to knock it out of the park and they're going to have a $20 million a year store, in which case their take home is $10 million. If you really think you can do that in this marketplace as an right. inexperienced operator competing with all of these big, well capitalized MSOs, I always tell folks, go for it, do it, like follow your dream, and, and I will try and help you raise the capital to do it. It's very difficult to do. Right. But if you, you know, if you think your best case scenario is you're going to be at an average or a little bit better than average store in this marketplace, financially, you're better off selling now than you are going down that road and going through the years of headache and heartache and, and a competition and everything else. Got it. That's fascinating, Chris. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Vern Davis. I am your host of Plant Profits and Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global. My guest today is Mr. Chris Crane. He's the Director of Cannabis Development at KCSA. And he's uh, also board of directors at Forefront Ventures. This will be right back. Plant profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. 
Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Plant Profits, and I'm your host, Vern Davis. My guest today, Mr. Chris Crane, Director of Cannabis Development at KCSA, and the Board of Director of at Forefront Ventures. Look, Chris, as we we're talking, uh, that what you said to me, that the light bulb went off, and man, I may want to buy and flip these things versus, <laughs> I versus know what? why do I want to be a retailer? <laughs> I know. I always, always tell people, <laughs> nobody, nobody really makes money running a cannabis company. People make right. selling, selling their cannabis company. Exactly. So you can make it in or out. You got to, you got to, at some point you got to sell it. It depends on what you really, really, really want to do. Right? Exactly. So tell me, we were talking about money, which is really important in, in what you do and, and having success with these businesses, these small businesses, 280E, right? Sure. Big issue when it comes to running a, a business of cannabis business in this particular case. Probably, right? the, big, now, probably the biggest, yeah. Right. It's, it's huge. So, so some states are trying to ease the pressure of what 280E means to the cannabis operator. Uh, tell me I about believe, that. I believe New York New York did it yesterday. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Northeast is very big or Yes, so, yes, and we did the same. Did the same thing here in Illinois. Yeah. So tell me, what does that look like? What does the state do? And tell me the effect on the operator. I mean, I don't think I need to go through what 280E is, right? I mean, no. I, no. I think this audience, this audience is familiar with that. But most states tie their tax codes to the federal tax code. Now, not in all cases, right? The tax rates are going to be different, but the way that you can take your deductions as a business or as an individual, but particularly in this case, right, we're talking about as a business, right. is generally the same at the state level as it is at the federal level. And so 280E, right, where you're not allowed to deduct standard business deductions from your taxes, impacts not only your federal taxes, but your state taxes in most mm -hmm. cases, right? And so, and that basically eats away your entire margin, right? You can't, like, it's virtually impossible to turn a profit in uh, most cannabis businesses, especially in cannabis retail, because 280E just crushes your profit margins. And that's at both the federal and the state level. And so what's starting to happen is a handful of states, uh, like I said, New York, they just sent their bill to the governor, I believe, yesterday. Illinois did the same thing uh, earlier this year. A number of other states have done it as well. Massachusetts uh, last Massachusetts. year. And so what they're basically saying is that 280E is not going to apply at the state level. So at the state level, you're paying business taxes the way any other business pays this taxes. Right, not like cannabis businesses, which are treated illegally. You still have a tremendous tax burden at the federal level, um, but it does provide really meaningful tax relief at the state level, being treated like a regular business. That's right. What is that meaning to a business of making money and not making money, as you've seen it for a year, almost a year in Illinois? Well, I mean, Illinois it just it just happened actually. So, but but you know, we've seen it around the country. We've seen it certainly in Massachusetts. I know you know yeah. Forefront has operations in Massachusetts, and it's the difference between being able to be profitable and not. Now, when it, when, when you still factor in federal 280e taxes, there's not still not a whole lot of profit margin left. But when you add state 280e taxes on top of that, all that margin is gone. Yeah. So look at these top line yeah. numbers. I talk to people outside of the cannabis space who are like, "Oh, look at all these numbers. All these companies are doing. There's so much money in cannabis. It's like, yeah, but it's all being eaten up in taxes." Right. I mean, you sound like a, you know, it's easy to sort of sound like a Republican here and like, you know, taxes are too high. Tax well, this is different, right? We're not taxed like every other business. We're taxed. Well, it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. We're taxed like a drug dealer, right? We're literally, quite literally taxed like drug dealers. 
I, yeah, I, you're illegal. You're illegal, but send me your send me your taxes. Right. I mean, that's literally what that's literally what yeah. he is. Yeah. Right? It's it's your yeah. It's it's it, 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 if it was put in place to prevent drug traffickers from like writing off their you know their speedboats and say well we you know use these to run cocaine in from the Caribbean right into Miami so it's a business expense done not not that that was really happening but this was during like the height of drug war hysteria in the 1980s and people were bringing up yeah. all these like crazy examples of things that like theoretically could happen that just were not yeah. in, in practice. And and so we're treated quite literally as drug traffickers under federal law uh, with the intent, you know, the express intent of not letting us turn a profit. Yeah. So thank you for that. At, at KCSA, right, and you guys are in communication, what strategies are you guys employing to help your clients navigate this regulatory environment? So, you know, KCSA is a, it's a, we're, we're a public relations firm, uh, uh -huh. right? So what we do is we work with our clients to help them craft their messaging right around issues like this, but any other issues that they're facing, help them get the word out about their stores. We're kind of an extension in many ways of their marketing arms. We help them gain earned media to you know get quoted in in you know newspapers and media publications and you know local news if they're doing a store opening, right? To help them get, you know, to get get coverage in their you know, local papers or local business journals, local news, right? If they're trying to establish themselves as a thought leader, uh, to you know, to to get them in those those types of publications. So for when I was the president of Forefront, I was a client at KCSA for uh, five and a half years. Uh, I've been writing a column on the cannabis industry for Forbes uh, for you know for about six years now. KCSA yeah. got me that column, right? And so I, you know, I, I was I was really thrilled to be able to join the team after I left Forefront because I had worked with them for five years as a client. I knew these folks well. I knew how much they cared about this industry, but most importantly, like what a good job they do for their clients in helping them raise awareness, raise their public profile, and to support their business objectives through targeted through targeted public relations and media. Mm -hmm. How does that business evolve in the cannabis arena, the PR business? Well, you know, I think you know KCSA was really the first mm -hmm. major. PR firm to get into cannabis. So KCSA is not a cannabis PR firm. Um, and there are some of those out there and some of them are quite good. But KCSA is a 50-year-old firm. Cannabis and psychedelics make up about 20% of our business. And we're in like really traditional industries like, you know, fintech and nagtech and, you know, financial services and you know, healthcare, right? So, you know, there's lar large companies and, you know, large established companies and large established industries. You know, I give a whole lot of credit to Lewis Goldberg, the managing partner at KCSA and, and, and you know, personal friend, you know, Ann Donahoe and, and, and Phil Carlson, right, who head up the cannabis practice on the PR and IR side for having the foresight, you know, seventy or eight, eight or so years ago when they got into this, you know, they were told by other PR firms in New York, you'll never sign another mainstream client again if you do this, right? Like this is, you know, this is too risky. It's federally illegal. What are you doing? They had to do some, you know, minor damage control, right? Just to reassure existing clients from, you know, major established industries that like this isn't going to hurt their reputation because their PR firm is working in cannabis. And they took a real risk, you know, in part because they saw the business opportunity, but in part because they really believe in the issue. They believe in the cause and they believe that a successful, professional, well-regulated industry is critical to helping end prohibition. So this was the kind of team that I was really excited to be a part of when I had the opportunity to do so. No, it's great. It's wonderful that you had the relationship already and you knew the entity and you know what the opportunity really was because you've been on the other side of it. So I think that's great. We're going to take that's a right. quick break. Yeah. You're going, we're going to take a quick break. 
Chris, and uh, when we get back, talk more about KCSA. I want to want to really get into where you guys are headed uh, in the industry and and what are some of the things that you see in your vision about the industry that needs more light shown on it. So I'm Bern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits, and you're enjoying listening to the Plant Profits podcast. And my guest today is Miss Chris Brain, who's the director of cannabis uh, development at KCSA. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Plant Profits. Plant Profits are brought to you by Protus Global. I'm Vern Davis. I am your host, and my guest today is Mr. Chris Frain, who is part of KCSA Strategic Communications Business. Is the director of cannabis development, and we're having a really cool conversation about PR in cannabis. And and so, Chris, t- take me down the road a little bit. How do you see this going? You're you're in the weeds. You're in it every day. But when you step back and you just look at it, where do you want to take this with KCSA? I, I would love KCSA to be seen as, and I think we're well in the way. The you know the premier public relations and investor relations agency for the cannabis industry, okay. right? To represent, I think, you know, both the lar- you know, large publicly traded multi-state operator types, as well as, you know, s- some, you know, smaller you know, cr- companies that are doing, I think, unique and interesting things in the space that, you know, that, that I find really exciting. But, you know, I think what people think of KCSA, I would like them to think of, yeah, that's, you know, they, these are the, this is the, this is the premier agency for public relations and investor relations in the, in the cannabis space. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's really helping to raise the profile of the industry as a whole mm-hmm. and to set the stage for what professionalism looks like, you know, and how folks conduct themselves when dealing with, you know, with, with the media and, and public relations. That's very good. So when I talk to folks in our industry, right, and we talk about how's it going and what's happening in your business and, and those kinds of things, and, and I get this comment, that, man, it's a weird year. And it, it has been a weird year. Let's talk about that for a second. I, and you can see weird is kind of easy to say, but when I think of weird, that means something I didn't expect. Okay. Now I kind of expected what happened this year to happen. And I don't know if weird is the right way. What's your perspective on that? Well, look, I think to be fair, like every year in Canada, yeah. it's a weird year. Uh, we work it's in different. a weird, it's different. We work in a life. yeah. We work in a weird yeah. industry. It's a weird business, yeah. right? I mean, how many other industries are out there that are you know completely federally illegal but regulated at the state level? But there's a completely different set of rules in every state that you operate in. You can't ship anything across state lines. Like it's th- this industry's crazy, man. Like it it, it's, it's not it it's is. not for the faint of heart, right? For people who think like, it's, oh, I've been successful in business before. This is going to be easy. It's not, yeah. right? There's, there's yeah. there are all there are all, all number of challenges here. You know, this year in particular, I don't know if it's been especially weird or easy compared to other years. Like I said, they kind of all are, but it does feel like at least sort of on the, you know, on the policy side of things, we're on the precipice of something big. Yeah. You know, the HHS announcement was a really big deal, you know, rescheduling or descheduling. I mean, descheduling would be great, but you know, that that didn't seem to be going to happen here. A rescheduling would be an absolute game changer for this industry. You know, safer banking or safe banking, right? It continues to, you know, I mean, that's it's kind of like Lucy in the football, right? Every year it looks like we got a chance, and every year we fall on our face. But you know, we just feel like we're getting closer to the precipice of something really changing. At the same time, 
it's been an, a tremendously challenging year from a financial standpoint. Oh, um, right. I don't think I've seen a worse capital environment in cannabis uh, since yeah. the early, early days, right before recreational even passed, or like the early medical days. The you know the interest rates that companies are borrowing money at it's astronomical and it's going to wind up killing a lot of these businesses if you know if if more professional capital doesn't enter the space and and folks get a chance to refinance which i do think will ultimately happen but you know the businesses are in as bad a position as i've seen them we've seen you know the combination of capital just largely drying up there's virtually no equity capital out there the debt that's out there is 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 tremendously expensive it would be largely considered serious yeah they yeah. consider serious in any other industry Absolutely. you know coupled with the fact that pricing has gone down just about everywhere which is great for the consumers but squeezing margins that are already compressed because of our previous conversation with 280e right, right and all the other business challenges like this has just been, I think, the most difficult year from a business perspective for the cannabis industry on record to that I can remember. And yet at the same time, there's this reason for cautious optimism that things may change in the you know near to medium future. So, you know, I mean, those two things together, I think kind of, you know, do make it kind kind of a, you know, come back to the original question, kind of a weird year. I, I can buy part of that being weird because I, I think you answered the question when you said, Chris, when you said every year is is, is crazy, right? Yeah, so, that's true. It's a crazy industry. Next, here's what you and I know. Next year is going to be crazy. We don't know how crazy, you know, which way crazy, but it's going to be crazy, you know. Hopefully it'll be crazy because like stock prices have gone up 10x and all yeah. this new new, new, you know, new, new, new lending at eight, at 8% is, is flowing into the space and, you know, 280E has gone away because of, uh, of rescheduling. That's the kind of crazy I'm, I, I, I'm hoping yeah. for it. I think the industry could de- you know, desperately use right now. Two questions. What's your bet on two things? The farm bill. HD9 will continue, you know, Helm Delta 9 will be able to continue because the beverage community is really expanding through that vehicle and doing some really cool things and putting product on the lips of consumers in ways that they could have not done it without it. What is your thought on the, the hip bill? Yeah, to be honest, it, that's one I have not been nearly as involved in as some of the okay. others going on at the federal level. That said, I do think it is really important that that the federal government get a handle on what's going on with the these sort of Delta products, mm-hmm. Delta THC products in general. You've got the situation now where these legal regulated companies have to jump through unbelievable regulatory hoops and challenges, right? The the security requirements in order to operate retail dispensaries are are are, are right. you know cr- just crazy. We're treated like you know banks, and yet now you can walk into like a, a, a bodega or a convenience mm-hmm. store, or a gas station, and buy hemp derived Delta Nine, yeah, you know products right right behind the counter, right with no security, no you know none of this crazy regulatory overhead. That, that what is wrong with that, Chris? Why, why is that nothing? Wrong? Nothing okay. is wrong with nothing is inherently wrong with that. But if they're able to do that, the legal regulated industry should be too. That's the problem, right? The, all of these companies have gotten up and running in these legal regulated, in, legal regulated, state regulated industries where they are treated like banks, like you're dealing in plutonium in some ways, right? And have all of this That's super true. high regulatory overhead and 280E right. banking challenges and all this stuff. And now all of a sudden they have to compete with, with, with companies that don't have to do any of that and can just, you know, and can just sell it 
straight over the counter. So uh, look, my suggestion would be the state regulated industries should really ease up and you know make it easier for for operators because there's really no need for these crazy regulatory environments that we have and these costs. But as it is, like the the yeah. Delta eight. Delta 8, even Delta 9 hemp derived products are, I mean, they're contributing to the major financial challenges that the cannabis industry faces right now because they don't have those same restrictions. So I, I think w- I, what I'd like to see is a level playing field. Um, and yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean going at, like, I'm not one who's saying everyone, they, they do the Fed need to just go after these, these hemp derived businesses, but they do need to level the playing field because they're killing the legal industry and all these companies have done, you know, all they've done is follow the rules. Here's the opportunities for those companies who are putting, who have products only in dispensaries, they should develop the, the hip version and get more points of distribution on the same brand and build a brand. They and as, and so, some are doing that, but state regulators- They are doing it. Some are doing it, but many state regulators really frown at the, at the idea, right? And so there's a balancing act there of not, you know, not pissing off your state regulators, right? What, who are overseeing this business that you've invested millions of dollars to get up and running. Um, so it, it's a real challenge. I mean, it needs to be solved. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, I don't yeah. know exactly what the answer is. It it is a real problem for the legal regulated businesses that have had to jump through all these hoops and followed all these rules, and now all of a sudden they're competing yeah. naked down the block that didn't have to do any of that, and the state seemed to have no problem with it. Right? Yeah, because it, because it came from hemp instead of from cannabis, which is the same plant. Yeah, no, totally understand what you're saying. It's just that what I'm actually seeing is those folks are doing both. You know, they're, they're well, dueling. I don't, I don't yeah. think a lot of them are really doing both. Most are, are doing one or the other. Well, no, I'm doing, it's a movement toward doing both. I see more. Yes, 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 yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yes, yeah. Good. It's just moving, going, going both ways, man. I really appreciate you showing up today and, and being on our show at Plant Profits, Chris. And I, I want everybody to know that we, we had a great discussion. I want people to go out and listen to the podcast, right? You can get Plant Profits anywhere you get your podcast. Subscribe, do that, and approach school with my company. We're on all platforms of social media and check us out and see how we are changing lives and building companies at the same time. And protisglobal.com, P-R-O-T-I-S, global.com. My guest today on Plant Profits, Mr. Chris Crane, is Director of Cannabis Development at KCSA. And Chris, thank you again for being on the show. Until next time, this is Burn Davis, your host of Plant Profits. Cheers. Cheers.